I guess we're starting. Did the Peter one? Peter Pike. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. Oh, wow. I can't do that. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Oh, I can't talk. Care. <laughs> Wait till I get into it before you start anything. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Welcome to the Badass Broadcast, the podcast about badass broads. I'm Shalom. She's Carrie. As I'm eating pizza. (laughs) I just took over for you. Hello and welcome. Um, Yeah, this is the podcast of your dreams. No. (laughs) So cut. (laughs) Start from scratch. Okay. (laughs) I'm just joking. I don't care. Um, Okay. What is up with you? How's your week? What is up, Buttercup? Uh, today went actually pretty quickly. Okay. Which is nice for a Monday. Oh, yeah, it's Monday. My schedule's yeah. all over the place, so this is my Thursday. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a pretty decent weekend because, I, I mean, I just did a lot of driving. Oh, yeah, you went to, like, out in the boonies and stuff. And I... Um, you always do, though. Lately, yeah, ever since spring hit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like just picking, I can't just like go somewhere and then just come straight home in a normal <clears throat> way. I have to pick an alternative route. <clears throat> I mean, we live in Manitoba. There's not much entertainment. There's, no. So, especially during COVID. So, I mean, like, that's all you do. I feel like every Monday when we record, you're just, just like. Pick, yeah. <laughs> so, on Saturday, I took them to the park and. Fun and found like a random way to get back home and drove down roads and streets I'd never seen before. I was like, Oh, I had no idea this was you right here. Oh my god! And then yesterday, I just like took off by myself and just went for a drive. And it started to rain, but that was okay because it wasn't like pouring, pouring, Mm -hmm. but it was like I took an alternative route again and it was pretty and everything. So, yeah, just explore what find whatever way you can to explore. Yeah. New territories. Yeah. That, I mean, that's kind of what this podcast is about. We're always telling stories about that and women who are adventurous in their own fields or whatever. Look at these segues that we're doing. One week <laughs> to the next, we're on a roll. <laughs> I mean, we're not getting into that part yet, but yeah. No, but you just brought it right um. back to our podcast. <laughs> So That's I, I, this week, so, you know, I've been trying to listen to like more like healthy, happy, positive podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So this week I needed something murdery. <laughs> <laughs> I just needed something murdery. Mm-hmm. And so I turned to my podcast suggestions on iTunes and found uh, one called Morbid. And I had never okay. heard of it before. I'd never seen it before. I don't know why. I'm kind of disappointed in Apple algorithm for not setting me up with that before. But I'm also super excited because there's like 250 episodes. Oh. And it's like two girls. I think they're sisters or cousins or something. And they just tell, um, you know, murder stories or true crime stories and stuff. So uh, they, but again, it's like, they're kind of fun and lighthearted, but they also like go into depth about like, like 
horrible situations. But. I feel like I might have tried that one out a while ago, but I'll have to give it another check, another test. It's really fun, and I, I think because like they talk like sisters, and I was like, oh, this is so cute. It's like our podcast, only better and more advanced <laughs> than ours. <laughs> but <laughs> and they're like way further along, right? Like two hundred and fifty episodes, so it's it's pretty cool. Anyway, I would um, definitely recommend Morbid if you're a true crime enthusiast. Okay. Um, okay. I've been, uh, I started listening on Friday to, uh, did you ever listen to Dr. Death? Mm-hmm. So I got into the That's second season. There's a second one? Yes. And I, I knew that I had like heard this story before, probably from a Dateline episode. So is it, like, is it like a different doctor death? Yeah. Okay. Um, Don't tell me about this. I'm getting mm, surgery. Oh, yeah. Well, then just wait. <laughs> wait till after. When you're in recovery. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, uh, I, I haven't, I got all the way up. To, there's only like a few parts, right? There's okay. There's like five episodes or something yeah. per season. So I got up to, I think, the last episode and I, I didn't actually finish it today. I got it caught up in other stuff, but um, I will definitely finish it. And uh, even though I know the outcome, because I always Google because I need to see a picture yeah. of this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. You know, all the time. and then and then it says right there, like in the Wikipedia thing on Google, it's like serving so many years. Oh yeah, prison yeah. sentence. I'm I like, do oh well, too. I guess <laughs> I know how it ends up. Spoiler. It's okay. I love spoilers. I love spoilers. Whenever I'm watching a movie with someone and I'm like, what happens? What happens in the end? Or I have to Google it while I'm watching it. I just, I prefer it. I don't know why. Like everyone's like, maybe it's a control thing in me where I'm just like, I want, I want to know what happens. Yeah. There's no spoilers for me. If you, if you're watching a movie with me, just tell me what happens. Yeah. She likes to ruin her movies. It's and not sometimes it makes sometimes, it better. It enhances it for me. And sometimes I try to refuse. That makes her more upset. Yeah, than it makes spoiling. me bonkers. Um, also, segue talking about doctor putting your life in the, the, the hands of a doctor. Mm-hmm. So I have big boobs. Okay, I have massive boobs. Um, I've had big boobs since I was 10 years old and I first started wearing a bra and by the time I hit high school, I was already a double D. I graduated high school. I was already rocking like over the triple D's, like into the F's. And now I'm at N as in no, thank you. (laughs) Exactly. Really? So I've been wanting a... They just not stopped growing? They they don't. And I, the thing is there's so much myth around it. Like everyone's always like... Like, oh, but if you just lose weight, your your boobs will shrink. And I'm like, no, that's not how it goes for everyone. Because for me, I gain all my weight on top. So if I gain 10 pounds, it's all going in my belly and my boobs. And then if I lose weight, the first place it sheds is my legs and my butt. So I've got that body shape. So anyway, so I've been on a list for a while to get a breast reduction and thank you, Canadian health system, because it is mostly paid for. So I'm really excited about that. I just like spent like $1,900 paying for the rest of it though today, <laughs> just a little much, but um, but it's been like set aside for this forever. Mm-hmm. So 
uh, yeah, so the surgeon called me on Thursday, and he's like, or the receptionist, I guess. She says, hey, uh, I know it's last minute, but do you want to come in for your surgery next Thursday? So I had a week's notice to get my shit together, fill out all the paperwork, do like a whole bunch of shit, pay for it. And they're like, "You have payment is due two weeks before the surgery. And then it's like, well, how about two days before the surgery? Because that's when I got everything, <laughs> all the paperwork. So, yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting. I'm pumped. So I, I had to, like, make sure I could take two weeks off work, like, do all that. Um, yeah, I'm super stoked. I'm, it's going to change my whole body, yeah. which is also kind of creepy because – not creepy, but, like – Scary because I've heard of women having like unforeseen reactions, negative reactions to it because it's something that they've always wanted, but any kind of cosmetic surgery, but they look in the mirror and it's just not your body. And so you have this, um, uh, it's called body dysmorphia. You look in the mirror and you just kind of freak out as like, this is not me. And, um, yeah, so I'm I'm I think I'm prepared mentally and physically and excited about it and yeah, I'm I'm pumped. And everyone keeps asking me, "Are you nervous? Are you nervous?" I'm like, "No, I haven't had time to be nervous, to get nervous no, that's because really I'm like quick. literally like tomorrow's my last day of work before I have to go in and like it's yeah, it's a lot. But it's coming at me really fast. So I like it that way better because then I don't have time to freak out. Yeah. And um, you don't have time to like wallow in all the worry and yeah. anxiety. And I'm not worried because when I first went to him, when I was first referenced to him, he, I looked him up. I did my due diligence. He's one of the top surgeons in the province. I trust him. He's very communicative. He was uh, just explained everything A to Z to me. I didn't even have any questions afterwards and I I like walked away fully confident that this is this is the right guy for me. So I mean in the sense of in, surgery. In the medical term in <laughs> medical so, realm. So uh yeah, I'm really stoked and that means we don't exactly know what's gonna happen next week, whether there there'll be an episode or not, but oh well. It'll it will still be we'll just play it by ear. Yeah. And be back in a couple of weeks, if not next week. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I'm so excited. That's all it is. That's the only emotion I'm allowing myself to feel. Because if I go in with worry, there are so many studies showing that if you go into an operation with worry and fear and anxiety, it affects, it affects the outcome. your healing process. It affects the way your body reacts it to the knife. Like affect, yeah, how things go on the table. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm really, really just excited and keeping it lighthearted and everything. And I get to like go, maybe go to like a normal store to buy a bra and not have to get like a custom one or like get an oversized one at the store where it's like the band's too big, but the cup fits. And then I bring it home and I sew it up to fit properly. Like I've been doing that for years. So anyway, (laughs) I could go on like an hour long rant on the perils of so, giant boobs. So this means that the next episode that we have, you'll have a lot to talk about at the beginning because you'll be able to tell oh, the whole maybe. story. Yeah. If yeah. I'm still alive. 
<laughs> Are you sure your doctor's not a Dr. Death? I don't think so. He doesn't have... He has a five-star rating online. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I, I did... Oh, one thing. I did start watching... Or listening, really, while at work, like, just listening to a YouTube. Because, okay, Australia has some crazy true crime stories. Oh, yeah. And they have the so, best podcasts. Yeah, and 60 Minutes Australia has some does some really good oh, true I crime Oh, I watch stuff. that all the time on YouTube. And that kind of led me to another um, Australian documentary about um, uh, Tinder and how Holy. it's sort of like a a playground for predators because guys can like, you know, they'll lure you in. And, um, so many accounts of girls getting, uh, assaulted, um, um, by these guys that they go on dates with. And, uh, and then he'll just block, like, he'll just like, like unmatch after, after the date. So there's like no record of any kind of Mm -hmm. contact with the guy. She can't find him. She doesn't know his picture. Like this one girl was telling a story. She didn't know his last name. She didn't know his phone number. She didn't have his picture. She didn't had nothing. So there's literally like no record that they ever even messaged. And it was like, she was just grabbing some random guy out of thin air and saying, he raped me. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I haven't even finished it yet. You know, it's crazy. A few years ago, I had a bit of a scare with a guy on, I don't know, one of those online dating things. And ever since then, I've been taking screenshots of like every communication. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking. Like you should screenshot it. The dude. Before you go out with the guy. The dude's everything. Yeah. Everything. Every message. And then, um, um, well, my current boyfriend, We've been, we met on Tinder, but <laughs> it was a little bit of a different situation. It, w- it wasn't like, um, so far I don't think he's luring me in. <laughs> it's been a few months, but. <laughs> Maybe it's a slow burn. He does tell me all the time he's going to murder me in my sleep, but I tell him that too. So we're quite the okay. pair. <laughs> so it's on record right all now. Right. It's on record, published. I need to know this guy's last name and phone number and address. (laughs) You do have his address, though. When we, on our first date, like, because of COVID, like, this was after, okay, do I have to explain? This was, like, a year after getting to know each other, sort of, and, like, um, just our lives just never lined up. And then, like, uh, we had FaceTimed and everything leading up to our first date, but because of COVID, we met just at his house and so I texted you mm-hmm. his address which is common practice it's safe it's smart and yeah. and then on our second date maybe he was like referencing that because he was like yeah it's interesting some girls like actually like will send my address to other people and I'm like what why I'm like my sister has your address and he's like oh really and then and then I had to explain to him like this is just a girl thing. This is how Girls it, have to do like. this shit. This is what it's like to be a woman. <laughs> He's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, enough about him. Shall we continue? We shall. I so okay. So I really wanted to do a Canadian lady this week. Um, so I googled badass Canadian women, and up pops an article on 29secrets.com called 10 Badass Canadian Women Who Will Inspire You." So I got to like 
number two, and I was like, she's the one. I love her. She's the one. Boom. And uh, I I didn't even read the rest of the article, so there's probably some more golds in there. So I'll I'll keep that on there. Um, Anyway, uh, what was I going to say? I don't know. Who are you doing? What's her name? (laughs) Maybe you should cut this shit. Because I had a major brain fart. Okay. So. Yeah, that's staying in. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. So, uh, like, okay, this is what I always do. I fall in love with this lady. I write all this stuff about her. And then I'm like, so worried that it's not enough time because yours are always longer. And I think it's just like the ladies you choose. But I, I don't know. But I, uh. And then I just like start throwing in other people. So this, the whole topic, the umbrella is women in sports, but I'm going to do, I think there's like five mentions, but the main character that we're looking at today is Clara Hughes. Okay. So care mm-hmm. of the 127 Olympic athletes competing in both summer and winter games in the last almost 100 years mm-hmm. and of the five Olympic athletes who have won medals in both summer and winter games, there is only one who has won multiple medals in both games. So full disclosure, we're not like the most athletic bunch in our family. What? what <laughs> As you chew on pizza. That's great. Um, I was probably the most, which doesn't say Mm -hmm. much at all, (laughs) Uh, except for dad. Dad's a legit, like, champion wrestler in the 70s. I have the ribbon to prove it. (laughs) But that's my claim to fame. (laughs) I did CrossFit for a while. (laughs) Yeah, you're really killing it. You should get back at it. You loved it. You loved it. I did. Which I think just, is a requirement for CrossFit. You have to be, like, crazy in love with it. Yeah. It's just, it's hard to find the time yeah, yeah. to go to a class, and it's also expensive, so. Okay, so, what was I going to say? Yeah, I remember as a kid, we would watch, as far as Olympics went, or, like, every winter, really, we would watch figure skating. And probably, I think Dad and I would, like, watch the Grey Cup maybe, like, every two or three years. At which any non-Canadians out there, it, that's like the Super Bowl, but for the CFL, Canadian Football League. <laughs> yes, Canada is a country. We have yeah. a football league. Um, the Grey Cup is football? I the Stanley Cup is hockey. Yes. Okay. <laughs> this I know. <laughs> so. Oh, oh, yeah. I went to a Grey Cup party like like the last <laughs> Grey Cup pre-COVID. Pre-COVID? So like two years ago? First one I ever went to. <laughs> I didn't watch the game. I don't know. <laughs> that's, not what the, game. that's not what the parties are for. <laughs> They're for the commercials. <laughs> and the gluttony. Uh-huh. Okay, so sports doesn't usually do it for me. Like even when I'm like listening to stories and stuff like that. But when I heard this lady's story, I was drawn in because it's such a powerful and beautiful story. So, Clara Hughes, born and raised in good old Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. What? She went to Elmwood High. Mm 
What? Yeah, we know I where that is. I went there. So Clara had a difficult upbringing. Her dad struggled with alcoholism and her parents did not have a happy marriage and they divorced when she was nine years old. When she was 12, she started drinking, smoking, doing drugs. And by the time she was 16, she had dropped out of school entirely. No stranger to binge drinking and blacking out and passing out on the street. She says at the time, at that time, I was an Olympic delinquent, (laughs) which is true. Like, I mean, 16 years old and like passing out on the street corners, like just like I can't imagine. I was like the like, I don't know. I did my own bad shit at that point, but like, I don't know. I can't imagine being in that place. And um, anyway, so she was staying home. So at this point, she she's completely dropped out of school. She's staying home one day in 1988, bored out of her skull. She was, that was her word, not mine. (laughs) Um, She was flipping through channels and landed on the Winter Olympics that happened to be hosted in Calgary that year. Mm. When the epic 1988, so I lived in Calgary for 12 years and you lived there for a few years too. And the whole, like that's, that world is still very much alive there um winter sports especially like the the cop the um olympic park is huge it's like we used we lived across the highway from you yeah. can literally see it from our from our yard practically yeah and the big giant and we like jump thing yeah and like everyone if you're living in calgary and you're not involved in winter sports you're a weirdo um but yeah, I knew I knew people. I met people who were actually like training for the Olympics, and like one of my best friends at one point, her little sister was training really hard, and she went to school there every single day, and like pushed it. Like I I can't like I can't even express how how much hard work these athletes put into their daily grind. It's so insane. So anyway, um, that's a little. Hmm. Sidebar. Sidebar. So, okay, so when she happened to see Gaetan Boucher, yeah, that's how you say it, Gaetan Boucher, competing in his last race in the 1988 Winter Games, he was the defending champion at the time, but he ultimately lost. And she, watching him lose was what motivated her and it ignited a fire under about, her. Sorry, you're talking about speed skating, right? Speed skating, yes. Sorry. Okay. So she explains it far better than I ever could, but it's this thing where she's like, I have never lost something that I love that much that it disappointed me that much to lose. You know? Like, I can imagine. Like, the look on his face of just, like, sheer disappointment and he's the defending champion too so Mm. so okay so but she decided right then and there that she wanted to take up speed skating crazy so she she knew that she was going to the the olympics right there sitting on her mom's couch with a pack of smokes in her pocket she's like i'm going to the olympics and she's 16 16 years old completely different worlds like 180 degrees difference in her life that's crazy i've never been that passionate about anything 
Especially like on a spark, like on a moment you yeah. that launches you into a 20 plus year yeah. career of like success after success after mm-hmm. success. So, um, so she starts training like right away. She starts out training in speed skating and her mom is like super supportive, like pushing her, bringing her to practices, training, all that stuff. Um, and about a year and a half in, she gets recruited by a cycling coach. And so I guess all that training and leg workouts, because they're both leg sports, mm-hmm. right? So I I can imagine, like, that was training her for this cycling. Um, so she wins $700 on her first race, and she's hooked. Like, she's just pumped. Mm-hmm. And in the 1994... Okay, so, oh, this is kind of a sidebar. So so that was 1988 when she first sparks, right? I want to keep it on the timeline. So in 1994, World Championships, she places fourth. And she was really disappointed in herself. But months later, the team director calls her and tells her that she tested positive for ephedrine. I think that's how you say it. Ephedrine? Ephedrine. And it's a stimulant found in cough medicine. So he's like, did you take anything? Did you take any cough medicine? You know you're not supposed to take anything. Like, And she knows as an athlete. She's like, I didn't even know what ephedrine was, but I just knew not to take cough medicine, not to take certain things that normal everyday people can take, but you can't as a, an athlete, as a competing athlete. So she... She got a, a three-month suspension, but to this day, she claims that she doesn't know where it came from. She doesn't know how it got into her system. So I think I think she just suspects it was either like a false like mix-up in the lab or something or that someone on her coaching team spiked her. Like, who mm. knows? And she's like, when she was asked, like, wh- what, like, why did you come out with this? Because... Her plan was actually, it was just supposed to be kept a secret till the day she dies. That's what the team said. That's what everyone said. Like, just don't say anything publicly because mm-hmm. it wasn't public knowledge. And um, But when she published her book years later called Open Heart, Open Mind, she came clean about it. She just said, like, this happened. It wasn't me. I don't know what happened. And um, she was... Yeah, she said she was never going to reveal that, but she felt like she had to. And then the person interviewing her in this interview was like, so how do you feel about, like, some people are going to actually think that you're lying? And she's like, you know what, that's just, that's up to them to to decide whether or not I'm lying. And that's up to, like, you know, all my readers and everyone to decide. But I... Also- why would she bring it up if she didn't have to? If it was yeah, true? that's true. That's true. I mean, I think her career kind of speaks for itself. When like that was in the beginning of her career, she's never had a negative test since, or I uh, should po- say positive, positive test, test since, and she's never had um, any problems with that. Like, and she's been super integrous like the whole way through her career, right? So. Is integrous yeah. a word? Because I hear yeah. it used sometimes, and I'm like, I just yeah. don't like it. <laughs> okay. Because you, you don't say it a whole lot. I think yeah, that's one I of those ones it. that you, you read. Yeah. But it is a word. Okay, so... 
I lost my place. Okay, so she enters her first her first Summer Olympics in 1996. It still blows my mind because it's only eight years later. And I'm like, if someone told me eight years from now, you could be like in the championship of whatever your area is. If you just like flip the switch and do it now, you could be like winning awards and accolades and stuff like that. Like that just blows my mind. Yeah. I don't know why. Eight years seems like not very long. Maybe that's because I'm old now. So. Because eight years just flies by <laughs> when does. you're old. It does. Um, so she enters her first Summer Olympics in 1996 as a road racer, winning a bronze medal. This is insane. Just thinking of like where she started. So this is Summer Olympics? Summer Olympics. Cycling? Summer Olympics for road racing. Okay. Yeah. Cycling. So... Uh, this drove her to work even harder and push herself harder. Unfortunately, she says that at this point she developed an eating disorder, anorexia, and because she was like just continually told that she was too big for her sport. She was constantly berated and humiliated publicly and privately by her cycling coach about her weight. She's like five foot nine. She's not a petite woman, but there, I mean, Girl, there is not an ounce of fat on her. Like, she's strong. Clearly, she's a fucking bronze medalist. So but what are you not, complaining about? That's not good enough. No, she's got to be skinny. I don't know. Whatever. The, the false narrative, that's what, like, that was out there, especially in the 90s. The 90s, the ideal body was, like, a stick thin, you know. We all remember that. So, so unrealistic. So stupid. Yeah. I love now that, like, we can, we're getting into that era of, like, showcasing that women can be, or men as well, but I think the pressure has primarily been on women. At least that's my perspective because that's my experience. Mm -hmm. But to be, like, if you want, if you're fit, you have to be skinny. And I've always been, like, a bigger girl. I have a broad frame. I have, like, but when I've been, at my healthiest and like hitting the gym every day. I've been, I've been, I've always been curvy. I've always, and yet yeah. I would like work out along these like big buff muscular men and they, and we'd be doing the same thing. And I'd be like, you know? So anyway, the, the narrative out there has to change and it is changing. Stupid. Also don't listen to it. <laughs> yes. Change it. There you go. So, so it took it took years before she was able to recognize the damage that he was doing to her. And so she um, she actually ended up writing him a, a letter just saying like. Oh, sorry. Yeah, she she did confront him. So she writes a letter telling him that like what he was doing to her and like how it was affecting her and, and that she just couldn't take it anymore and that she was dropping him as a coach. And he calls her up and says, <clears throat> I got your letter. You can burn in hell. And he hung up. Wow. What? So childish. So emotional. Anyway, I'm, I'm also loving. I watched this video where this woman's like, you really want to piss up, uh, piss off like a chauvinist creep who like sa- says stuff to you or like freaks out at you. Mm-hmm. Just say, why are you being so emotional? Like, just use, <laughs> use like, flip the script on him. And so I'm, like, hooked on that right now. 
I don't, I don't have any men around me who would say shit like that or yell at me or freak out. But I just think it's an awesome, just like, keep that in the back awesome of your thing. mind. Keep yeah, that in your yeah. arsenal. Just be like, why are you, why are you so emotional? Yeah, right? Anyway, <laughs> that's that's all it one. is. That's all it is. It's all, it's just emotions. But we've changed the narrative. So I've noticed, like, this is a side note, but I've noticed that, like, for women, if they're being dramatic, it's like, you're being dramatic. But if a guy is, he's just being hyperbolic or something like that. And the narrative, like, the connotation on those two words are very different. Yeah. So, like... And if a guy gets angry all the time, well, like, I mean, that's an emotion. That's an emotion, for sure. Just, If he's beating people up in the street because he's angry... That's yeah. like, dude, you're an emotional dude. You're yeah. an emotional person. Or, or, yeah, like, or you're, like, super jealous and controlling and manipulative. Yeah. Or, those are emotions, Emotions. Too. So, anyway, um, in her words, when I won medals, my world came crashing down. Within months, I was in a state of major depression. She went from being the fittest and strongest she'd ever been to having an eating disorder, not having any energy, not being able to do anything but eat, sleep, and cry. And she spent um, months like this. And, I mean, that's... I I don't know exactly how much time she spent like this, but this is something she struggled with her entire life, her entire career. So it's not like it was just this oh, this one little pocket of depression and then she's done. So she, but she did really struggle with that. Um, So in 2000, the summer games in Sydney, Australia, she was recovering from whooping cough. So she got it just a few weeks before the games. And that shit is hard. Like that shit, it takes a long time to get out of your system. It's not like a common cold. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, She's recovering, and a week before the race, she finds out that one of her teammates had died in an in a crash. And I think it was a car accident. Um, she said she decided that she wasn't racing for herself, that she was going to race for her teammate. So she she does that race even though she's not ready yet, and because she couldn't train at all when she was sick. So she finished like second last or something like that. And a few days later, doing the time trial, she finished sixth. So she said that those were two of her favorite races, two of the most important races of Mm -hmm. her career, because it was then that she realized it wasn't about the medals. It was about excellence. So then at the age of 27, she went back to speed skating. And this was unheard of. I guess because both sports like I said, our leg sports, they have similar training. Um, yeah. It would have been like an easier transition than if it was just a cold start. You're focusing on the same uh, muscles. Muscle groups, muscle groups, yeah. So this transition goes as follows. In seven weeks, she made... Hold on, hold on. I, I'm just going to say that I did not realize that she first focused on the cycling because I always just knew her as like the speed skater who then went and did cycling so so I didn't know that it was like back and forth forth a little bit yeah yeah so I learned something oh wow good for you gold star (laughs) continue yeah um sorry I just like 
I don't know why I'm so burpy today. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, this... <laughs> so, in seven weeks, she makes the national team. Wow. And in three months, she was top ten in the world at the world championships. <laughs> and in 17 months, she won her first medal at the Winter Olympics. Wow. Carrie, you think in seven weeks I could make the national team for anything? No. Okay. Shoot. She was already fit. <clears throat> she already had what a are history you talking of, about? <laughs> of uh, speed skating, so she like, already knew the sport. Like Dad would always say, I'm in shape. The shape is round. <laughs> Something round like is a shape. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, Dad. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so in Torino in 2006, she wins big. So she's on the ice against the th- the, 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 the three-time defending champion from Germany. I forget her name. But anyway, she, she says that she kind of knew that she was doping. And she, she said, like, everyone kind of knew. And when asked, what, how did you know? Like, what about, like, did, was there proof or anything? And she's like, no, you just kind of knew by looking at her. I think... I think when you're in sports, you kind of get the vibe of, like, who, like, maybe certain mannerisms that just aren't normal or yeah. something. I don't know. But she said, like, everyone kind of knew that she was cheating. So, and she still won. And so she, she, so she says she's standing there at the, the starting line and she looks over at her and she says to herself, she thinks she's going to win again, but something special is going to happen tonight. And (laughs) she said at one point she was skating and started out behind her. And then she realizes at one point that they're pretty much even. So she just pushed like never before. They had two laps to go. And she said, in that moment, I got lower and longer and stronger. And I attacked that race as if I was fighting for my life. She was in so much pain by the end of the race that she was actually in tears while she's, like, crossing the finish line. <clears throat> and you just see, like, video of her, like, and she's just crying and, like, has her hands on her. Oh, and she's just, like, it's so cool. So in 2010, at Vancouver Olympics, she got to be the flag bearer for Canada. And she finished fifth in the 3,000 meter and third in the 5,000 meter. Does that mean she skated three kilometers and five kilometers? Yeah, because there's a thousand meters. But in it a just comic. seems so far, distance-wise. But like the rink is quite small looking. Well, yeah, because it's just like a number of just laps, just a th- um, thousand rounds. Because <laughs> each Kay. each ra- lap is probably <laughs> four hundred meters. I think that's what it is in like in the pretty skating, standard. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Excuse my my ignorance. <laughs> I was just shocked because I'm like, that sounds like really big. It's, it sounds really, but it's not really. I mean, if, yeah, I if you're doing that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You're used to it. So, okay. So she, she said she, even though she walked away with a bronze on the second race, she skated better than ever than she had ever skated in her life. And as she crossed the line in this race, she thought, this is it. I'm done. 
so that was her last ever speed skating race. So until now, her experience seems to be, like, super positive in skating, um, like, super healthy mentally, and she's in, like, a really encouraging place with skating, but really negative in road racing. So, but even though she had won all these medals in cycling, it was still just such a depressing place for her. She was always struggling through depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and just overall negative self-talk. Um, but in 2012, Summer Olympics roll around in London, and she says she wanted to go back to biking in a way that's different than before. So she wanted to approach it in the way she approached speed skating. So it's not like she almost wants to like redeem it. Yeah, yeah. She's like to. She said to do it in a way that was positive, was supportive where I was good to myself. And the mm-hmm. voices in my head were not ones that were tearing me apart, but ones that were supportive and encouraging. So she finished in fifth place. And when she crosses the line, her final thought was, I'm done. So she got some closure out of it. And it was just a nice way to end her career. Nice little book. Where it was like, she, maybe she wasn't winning the gold or the bronze, but she won, like she won internally, yeah. personally. Yeah. So, this is where her real legacy begins. Ooh. I'm going to tear up for sure. I <laughs> fucking cry at all of these. Stop okay, wait, it. How, how old is she now at this point? Mm, don't ask me questions. What's wrong with you? Okay, so this okay. is 24. No. She's 30? No, 24 years. I mean, uh, plus 16. So, she's like 40. 40. Okay, okay. Or, like, right before she's 40 or something like that. So she she started so she started speaking openly about depression and mental illness. The, this is 2012. She, her first time ever mentioning depression was in 2011. So she's fighting all of this internally, alone, the entire time. And so at this point, she joined forces with Right to Play, which is a Canadian organization that helps underprivileged children gain access to sports and encouraging healthy community. Um, Right to Play operates in 15 countries around the world. And, um, okay, so overall, she won three Summer Olympic medals and three Winter Olympic medals. Her career spanned 22 years, and she's competed in more than just the Olympics. So she raced in Pan Am Games, Commonwealth Games, World Championships, Tour de France, and countless others. She's had, I counted like based on Wikipedia, 22 podium wins through just like the aforementioned last, like the games mm-hmm. I just mentioned, which is what I just said like three times. Sorry. Okay. The, the ones that you just mentioned. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the aforementioned. The aforementioned words that I just mentioned. Um, <laughs> Gotcha. You ever, like, start speaking, and then you're, like, halfway through the sentence, and you're like, this isn't going the way I planned, <laughs> and then you just continue going, and it's wrong? <laughs> that, that reminds me of uh, Michael Scott from The Office, <laughs> because he actually said that, like, sometimes I just start a sentence, and I don't know where it's going, and I just <laughs> hope that I find it along the way. <laughs> 
is basically half my life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so I I don't know why I put that in that chunk in there. Like I kind of like um, framed it poorly. So anyway, the, back to her <laughs> wonderful post Olympic career. <laughs> Okay. Um, so she organized a ride across Canada, riding 11,100 kilometers, which is like nothing to her. Like that's, that's pretty far. Okay. I'll give her this, the that's three and the five so kilometers she goes, skating, but 11,000, that's, that's far. She actually, sorry, I said across Canada. She went around Canada. She okay. went up north, and like, granted, some of that was other transportation. But she, because like, obviously, you can't ride through everything. But she rode through none of it and all the territories, and then like down to like around. That's to crazy. The south. That's crazy. Yeah, wild. Good crazy. Like yeah. So she she puts on over two hundred community events through all of this. 110 community visits and it wasn't about raising money but more so about raising awareness about mental health and any funds that were raised stayed within the community for mental health initiatives and she's she says speaking up about mental wellness is the most important thing she's ever done in her life it's no longer about the races the medals or anything it's about the people who encounter her along the way and hearing them th- hearing their stories and hearing them say thank you for destigmatizing mental illness cuz look if a if a world class athlete can battle with mental illness to the point that almost destroyed her life and for a time did then really anyone can find themselves struggling with it no one's immune to mel- mental illness mm-hmm. so she still travels and speaks on mental health to this day Cool. Um, so I'm going to read her a few honors under her name. That's honors spelled with a U. Yes, because she is Canadian. <laughs> Hello. Okay. So as a result of her success in multiple sports and her humanitarian efforts, she was named to both the Order of Manitoba and as an officer of the Order of Canada. She was named Female Athlete of the Year by Speed Skating Canada in 2004 for long track. In 2006, she received the International Olympic Committee's Sport and Community Trophy. She was then named to the 2006 list of most influential women in sport and physical activity by the Canadian Association for Advancement of Women and Sport, C-A-A-W-S. In the summer of the year 2010, it was announced that she was would receive a star on the Canadian Walk of Fame, and on November 15th, 2010, she was inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. So the entire time I'm reading everything about her, listening to her interviews and everything, I'm getting all this excitement and energy. And, I, and I'm like, I want to I wanna do that. <laughs> but then I look down at my body and I'm like, okay, I slept weird last night. I have a kink in my back. I'm walking around in an air cast all day, every day. And <laughs> I started working out for the first time in a while last week. So all my muscles are a little bit sore. <laughs> I'm like, maybe I'm just nowhere near Olympic shape. Maybe I just no, I should pull the brakes on that one. I think you kind of passed but that window. You know how I am. Like, even, like, every woman I do, I'm like, oh, 
I want to be in CSIS. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a scientist. I I do want all those things, but too many options is just like, you know, stunting. You're like the little girl who wants to be a veterinarian and a police officer and a doctor and and a a princess and and a a ballerina and a unicorn. Yeah. (laughs) And a mermaid. That's you. I still want to be a mermaid though. I will be one day. <laughs> I will move to the Caribbean and I will be a mermaid. Are you going to buy one of those tails so you and then learn how to free dive so you can like really No, but when I was a kid, I used to swim like that all the time and pretend I was a mermaid through the like community pool, not through the <laughs> ocean. But I would keep my legs together and wiggle and like <laughs> <laughs> I've got that muscle memory somewhere in my body from, like, 30 years ago. <laughs> okay. Next up, Catherine Switzer. I don't know if you know who that is. No. Um, so you would recognize the picture. Oh, I should have kept it for you. Um, she was the first woman to run the Boston Marathon, and as a teenager, she fell in love with running. So she tells this really cute story about how she um, she... One day when she was, like, going into high school, I think it was, like, before school had started, she tells her family at the dinner table, she makes this announcement. She's like, I'm going to be a cheerleader next year. And they're all like, okay, because she's thinking cheerleaders are popular, they're pretty, every guy wants to be with a cheerleader, da-da-da-da-da. So she's like, this is in, like, I think the late 50s, early 60s, whatever. So... She, her, her dad, without missing a beat, says, you don't want to be a cheerleader. Cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want to be on the field. You want to be an athlete. Like, you want to be the person that they're cheering for. And he's just, like, this super old school, like, military man, super conservative. And for some reason, he's, like, pushing her to be, like, an athlete. Wow. Which is unheard of at that time because this is like Yeah, 50. girls don't do that. Yeah. So she's like, oh, I can do that? Okay. Like she just gets all pumped about it. So she starts running and he's like, if you run, she explains it like way better than I just did. But she's like, okay. And he like begins like pushing her and, and encouraging her and all the time with like, if you run just a mile a day, like you'll be stronger than any athlete out there, right? So... She starts. She started at Syracuse University in the mid '60s, and there was no women's cross country team, and that's the, what she wanted to do. Was just she loved running, so she wanted to run. So she was invited to practice with the men's team, just in an, an unofficial capacity. So she soon caught the eye of one of the coaches, Arnie Briggs. He's like a volunteer coach, kind of part time dude. So they become close and they run together and he would tell her stories about running in the Boston Marathon. So one day she turns to him and she says, I want to run in the Boston Marathon too. And he says, you can't, you're a woman. He said, women are too weak and too fragile to run the 26.2 miles. (laughs) This was common knowledge, I mean, common thought. Knowledge in quotation. Common mentality back then. (laughs) Yeah. Like just ridiculous so her response was what are you talking about women throughout history have done arduous things and he explodes and says no dame ever ran no marathon (laughs) (laughs) so she says 
Well then, you don't have a running partner until you can commit until you can admit that some women sometime could run one. And he said, "Well, I think you could, but you'd have to prove it to me. And if you show me in practice, I'd be the first person to take you to Boston." So, they went to work training her for a marathon. And even though no woman had ever run the marathon, they found no specific rules banning women. So when she filled out her application, she put her name down as K.V. Switzer. No questions asked. So she gets there on the day of, and it's like this dri- like drippy, like kind of wet, cool morning. And so everyone throughout the race is wearing like a garbage bag over their sweater or whatever. And they're all just wearing like sweatpants and sweaters. Like nowadays you're wearing like short shorts and you're wearing like a tank top to stay comfortable. Right. He had to be modest back then. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Even the (laughs) the men. (laughs) So they're all wearing garbage bags and their hoods up. So just trying to stay warm. So she's expecting some kind of pushback, but she doesn't know what. But no one says anything. They just like, they're just, she goes up to the sign-in table and they're like, okay, whatever. And she shows them her her number on her chest and they're just like, okay, check, check, check. Like, get out of here. Go to the starting line. And so, like, no one says anything. So she's like, oh, I guess it's not that big of a deal. So she says when that gun went off, she felt like a pilgrim going to Mecca. Like, (laughs) she was just so, like, the energy was crazy. So at about the two mile mark in the the press the press bus goes by and one of the writers spots a woman running and he turns to Jock Semple, the race manager, and says, Jock, there's a woman running in your race. And he was so shocked, he's like, uh, uh, like he was speechless. He yells, Stop the bus, stop the bus. So they stop the bus. And she's, like, completely unaware of what's going on because she's just focused. She said she could hear, like, leather shoes on the pavement, which kind of threw her off, and she turned around at the last second as he's about to, like, grab her. And so he yells at her. He grabs her, and he yells at her, get the hell out of my race and give me those numbers, and he, like, swipes to try to grab the numbers off of her. And her boyfriend at the time doesn't say anything. He just, like, whacks the guy. And... Her running partner, Arnie, remember sexist-ass Arnie? So he says, run like hell. So she just, like, books oh, so, it. So they're in, they're all right, running together? Yeah, it's like, okay. it's, it's a few of the dudes that she runs with regularly. Okay. So, so for a moment, she wanted to quit the race because she was so scared and embarrassed. And she realized that, like, ugh, this is amazing. So she realizes that if she quit the race, no one will believe that women deserve to be there or that they could do it. So she said to Arnie, I'm going to finish this race on my hands and knees if I have to. And she finishes at four hours and 20 minutes. Is that good? I don't know. I, I think that's pretty good. Like, I think okay. four hours is really good. I think. Okay. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've had a few friends run marathons and I've like been there at the finishing line for them. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure. So <laughs> don't bank on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, I'm gonna yeah, quote so you. like to realize that she like, she realized at the moment that she was actually going to like 
She had the power in her hands to set back all of women's rights. Like, the reality of it was so heavy, and she, she wasn't even, like, really thinking about that until that very second, and she was met with that decision. So, initially, she didn't feel like it was a big breakthrough moment in history, but immediately after the race, like, or, like, yeah, anyway. So the iconic photograph of Jock Semple blows up, like grabbing at her. It blows up and becomes a symbol of the women's rights movement, <laughs> like across the country. So now she becomes a, a bit of a celebrity. So now, like, I don't even know what she was heading towards in school before, but now she starts by getting women officially accepted into all the major marathons across the country. She then partners with Avon to create global women's only races. And this directly led to the inclusion of the marathon in the 1984 Olympics. So like you could follow the trail and it's like, like she's like, I can't believe I had a hand in that. That's crazy. So she says now her magic number 261 takes on a whole new meaning. It means fearless in the face of adversity. So she founded a nonprofit organization that strives to empower women around the world through running, and it's called 261 Fearless. Ugh. <laughs> I'm always holding back the tears. I just, like, get so touched. That's not sarcasm. That's just, like, teasing me because I'm so fucking cheesy. Uh So anyway, she said, I started the Boston Marathon as a girl and finished as a grown woman. (laughs) Oh, she says she is so grateful that Jock Semple attacked her in the race. She said he not only angered me and frightened me, but he inspired me. And they actually went on to make up and become very close friends after he changed his mind when it comes to women in sports. That's probably the best part. I know, right? His name is Jock, like J-O-C-K. I wonder if that's what the label was named after. I don't know. I I think that's that's such a 50s name. Yeah. (laughs) I've never heard that before. So she's still super active in public speaking to this day. She's been running for like 60 plus years. It's amazing. She's pretty cool. Did you know, um, so the receptionist at my work is English, and she's big into boxing. She was, did boxing for, like, a long time. And um, and she was. She tells me sometimes she has a tendency to repeat her stories. So I've heard it a few times. But um, <laughs> in, in England, up until the 1990s, women were not allowed to train in boxing gyms. And uh, not just not just boxing, but they were like very very behind the times with when it came to women in sports, like Weird. being allowed to like it 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 took like a professional female boxer, uh, who was English, who kicked up a fuss because she couldn't she had nowhere to train in her home country because it was illegal. Oh my God. Yeah. Like literally like you like like the illegality of it is so yeah. fucking weird to me. It's like just. Let them do what they want to do. Maybe there are no games. Like like, literally a gym could get in legal trouble for allowing a woman to to train. Yeah. That actually brings me to... The 90s. That's crazy. But that does bring me to... Now I got all like 
stoked on the Olympics and shit. And I was like, hmm, who was the first female Olympic athlete? I want to know that. Okay. So this goes back to 1900. So, okay, I'm just going to do like a little side note or backstory on the Olympics because I was really intrigued. I thought it was interesting. So I always knew like ancient Greece started the whole thing. Yeah. But that was a thousand years ago. Hey, I was trying to be hyperbolic and there you go. I'm like a thousand years ago. It was actually more than that. Several thousand years (laughs) ago. (laughs) It was like five years ago. (laughs) No, it's a, yeah, it was thousands of years ago. And, but modern day, the modern era, some, let me guess, let me guess. Summer Olympics. Close. 88. Started in 1896. Oh. Summer Olympics. Winter Olympics started in 1924. I didn't know that. And it was super loosey-goosey back then. Uh, Like, so weird. And it, it was, like, spread out over several months, and it wasn't really, like, like, now it's, like, a what is it, like two or three weeks of like concentrated shit in one location. So, um, at this point, I can just imagine the pictures of the athletes. Oh my God. I'm going to post them on Instagram. They're so fucking good. They're so good. You don't even know. Like this woman's wearing like a crinoline. Like it's insane. Uh, so, so, okay. It wasn't as established or celebrated as it is today. So the people competing in them didn't think of them as like oh my god the olympics like now you hear someone goes to the olympics you're like oh my god my mind's blown you're a world-class athlete right so uh it had a few different names different events had different names but okay hold up backtrack all right so the very first woman to ever compete and the very first woman to win in the olympics 1900 the first year women were allowed to compete in the Olympics. So only the second Summer Olympics. Okay, that's not too bad. But, I mean, they did start in, like, basically 1900. So, Helene de Portal. I definitely mispronounced that. But she's from, uh, well, she's from the States, I believe. But she is representing Switzerland because that's where she's she lives. And she married, like, a royalty guy in Switzerland. A royalty guy. A royalty guy. Not the okay. prince, but, you know, like, some kind of duke some or something. Some kind of nobility. He's got, a, he's got a title. But, um, so she was a member of the winning team in the first... In let, the, me guess, let me guess the sport. Equestrian? No. In the first one to two ton sailing event. I don't understand what any of those words mean. Okay, so it's a sailing event. Oh, the size of the boat, maybe? Yeah, but it's weird that it's like, what, my boat can be half the size of your boat? That doesn't make sense. But maybe it didn't affect the speed, depending on, like, whatever. Anyway, so this is May 22nd, 1900. So she won gold in the first race and silver in the second as part of a group, like a team, right? So she's the only woman on the team. And although they included women, there were very narrow restrictions. The only sports open to women that year were sailing and croquet as group sports and golf and uh, tennis. Croquet. Or croquet. Just croquet. Sound, it sounds like a very like, high society. That's a, a good sport for you to wear a dress. and Yeah, you know, yeah. You can very... still look 
very uh, sophisticated. Yeah, exactly. And and golf and tennis as individual sports. So again, golf, you yeah. can totally still be sophisticated. I can't imagine being sophisticated sailing a boat. I mean, there's a lot of stuff involved in that. <laughs> no, but you stinks. can still you can maintain your modesty and your yeah decorum. Oh, I for guess. Sure. I, don't I guess know. there wouldn't be swimming back Victorians. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Um, Charlotte Cooper is actually the first woman to win a solo event, and she was British. So, so goes back to your. Was she competing against other women, or is this um, like were they this separated? Is mixed. So of the, I think it was like over a thousand athletes or something. There was only twenty two. Um, yeah, I think there was a so, thousand athletes because it was two point two percent of the athletes. There were twenty two. Females competing so, in that year. So, um, so it was so like they were against con- whatever. They were against men, and they still won. Yeah, I think so. Huh? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it was mixed. It was. I think. I think it was kind of of the thought that like, oh, you wanna you wanna join the almighty Olympics? Well then, yeah, yeah, prove it. Like whatever. And yeah. that, that was before. Yeah. Anyway, so on July 11th, she wins the, the tennis match. And she, that's the first woman to win in a solo event. That, that year, she won gold in both singles and doubles. So I'm assuming she doubled with a dude. I don't know. Hmm. She also won five Wimbledon singles in, 19, in 1895, 1896, 1898. So three prior to this. Yeah. And then 1901 and 1908. <clears throat> so good on her. That's pretty fucking amazing. And funny story, on October 3rd, 1900, so again, I'm May, July, October, it's all Summer Olympics. But series of this Olympics. event goes under a different title entirely. So it's not even called the Olympic Games. It's not even associated with the Olympic Games at the time. But this American woman, <laughs> American golf player, Margaret Abbott, becomes the first woman to win a medal in golf. Fun fact, golf has only been featured in three Olympic Games, 1900, 1904, and 2016. <laughs> I remember being well, yeah, like... Yeah, because I think, I think they're like, well, technically it's a sport, but really... And then it was like over a hundred years, years later, people started yeah. fighting for it. Well, no, I remember <laughs> being in like elementary school or high school or something and hearing about this. Like people are trying to get golf in the Olympics. Are you kidding me? That's crazy. Why? Typically golf isn't a sport. sport. But I, I heard but it, all the arguments back then, like 20 years ago. So I'm, I'm like, whatever. Like, but it's, it's a sport. I'm not into it, but I yeah, don't have a horse I mean, in the race. So I don't it's care. It's a sport, but it's not like a. Now, I'm not a golfer, Rigorous. but it doesn't look like a very, like, physically, like, rigorous activity. The fact that you have to be dressed so impeccably to be even uh, allowed onto a golf even, course. You can't like get how, sweat, you, stain, sweat stains on your Don't pits. break a sweat, you know. <clears throat> it's so just, I mean, I know there is skill involved. I'm not, yes, I'm not absolutely. debating that. But it's, it's Well, they just, all have big butts, so there's got to be some training there. Not some, the some same. Point. 
as like running a marathon or you know speed yeah. skating or I don't even honestly I don't even know if figure skating <clears throat> should be allowed in the Olympics. <gasps> Shut your mouth, girl. <laughs> what? It's dancing. It's I have know you it's athletic, that? but it's just there's some of I, I, the fittest people out there. No, it's a form of dancing. Would you consider dancing a sport? I don't consider dancing a sport. I mean, I think some people are trying to fight for dancing. In the Olympics. It's an athletic pursuit. Yes, you need to have athletic. So maybe let's just open the term up to... It's not a... The Olympic Games. It's called Olympic Games, Kara. It's not called Olympic sports. Oh. But it's widely accepted as a sporting competition. Okay, you know what? Like, growing up, I always thought that the Olympics were like this... There's this, like, sacredness to them where the thought of, like switching years off like we just did for 2020 um, would have been like mind boggling. But then I'm looking back at this and like, they've been all over the place. They haven't even been like the solid, like four years on four years off kind of thing. Like, well, I remember four years, four years, whatever. When I was a kid, they, it, it was, they had summer and winter in the same year. Yeah. And then, and then they decided to stagger them, which I yeah. thought was a smart idea because then you get, you get at least one yeah. every two years. But then they've had them on odd number years and stuff like that, too, which wasn't normal. But I, I'm guessing that there were extenuating circumstances for that. Same as, like, 2020. So, I And, know. like, the only, the only, there was only one year, one time when they just canceled it all together, and that was during the Second World War. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. I learned something. Ooh. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, like, <laughs> 95% sure. Okay. Um, so anyway, I'm just saying that to say that they're not that sacred. I think it's more like it ebbs and flows as society ebbs and flows. So we just need to like accept that. And yeah. Cause I, I mean, yeah, when I was a kid, of course it was cool to watch the figure skate. That was the only thing I liked. Yeah. yeah. Now our whole family you know, did that. that I so don't, funny. I don't really care about the summer Olympics, but I do enjoy like watching the but winter I ones. I love running and I love biking. And if I didn't have this like shitty foot injury for the last year I would would still be on the bike every day and still be running all the time you know so I'm intrigued by those things but um obviously not like really sportsy right now but anyway uh Margaret apparently so Margaret Abbott back to her she was just spending time in Paris with her mother studying art she loves playing golf so she, they hear about this tournament, and they're like, meh, why not? So they go sign up for this tournament. She and her mother show up and compete separately, uh, which is the only time that's ever happened in history where her mother, mom, and, daughter. mother and daughter compete in the same date, same, same event. <laughs> I don't know if they've had them like other events, but that's how it was worded, was like very specific. So anyway, her mom ties in seventh place. So obviously, like, they're pretty good at golf, this family. Um, And she wins gold. So she wins gold for Team USA. She wasn't even on the fucking team. She She didn't know that she was in the Olympics. She didn't know that she was, like, fighting for the U.S. title. She, like, so, okay... So even more, she never learns that she won the Olympics. 
She never finds out. They didn't hand out medals. They handed her, they, she won like this gilded porcelain bowl. That was her prize for winning. So she never knew. It wasn't until she walked, she walked away. So she was the very first American woman winning this prestigious award. Okay, so she walks away that day. And she just thinks like, oh, that was fun. I won a bowl. Like, (laughs) what the fuck? So her epic win was kept in the dark until a University of Florida professor, Paula Welch, began to research the history of the Olympics and discovered that she had placed first. Over the course of 10 years, she went on to contact Margaret's children and inform them of their mother's victory. (laughs) So she didn't know, and she didn't know, like, the gravity of what she had just done. She's this, like, hobby golfer, and she does not know. This, like, paved way for, like, other women to enter this sport. Like, what the fuck? That's funny. And that concludes the story of just a handful of epic women in sports. Clara Hughes, Catherine Switzer, Helen... De Portal, sorry, Charlotte Cooper and Margaret Abbott. So, um, yeah. Crazy. There's obviously, obviously, even though this is called Women in Sports, we will continue and do more Women in Sports as well, eventually, I'm sure. But, yeah. There we go. Um, That was a good one. What did you think? I think, like, Clara Hughes was, like, I don't, I don't brought care. me to tears a thousand times. I, I couldn't care less about sports, but, you know, it's know, always good like, to hear stories about cool people. That always happens to me where I, like, watch an interview with someone that I don't know about or don't care for, and then I just fall in love with them as a person, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're so inspiring, even though you're not at all in my, like, realm of yeah. thought. Like, it's just wild. I love when that happens, actually. Mm-hmm. So cool. Stamp, 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 yeah. stamp, stamp. One, okay. each, one for each. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you enjoyed the story this week, please hit subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that helps us out a lot. And also find us on Instagram at The Badass Broadcast to check out some pics from today's episode. And as always, see you next Thursday. See you next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>